I was like, Scoon, there's no carpet in that in that front room of that apartment. Oh. <laughs> The apartment, the carpet has been removed from the so front room. So you could room. see enough through that sliver. Oh, door there that you we could, could. I could see the entire living room. It wasn't was, a sliver. He held like an arm's oh, length. Yeah, of the I could door see. Open. I could. I mean, he was standing in the doorway, but he couldn't. He couldn't obscure my view where I could see all the way in. And the car, the carpet was gone. It was down the concrete. Warning: The podcast you're about to listen to may contain graphic descriptions of violent assaults, murder, and adult language. Listener discretion. Is advised. Welcome to the Murder Police Podcast, The Murder of Goldie Massey, Part 2. Is the first time that we went and interviewed him? And we were walking out the driveway. I, I looked at Chris and I'm like, that's how much did it. And and we'll get into it. Yeah. And you're going to know. But it was that feeling you get when you've talked to somebody and you're there and you see what you see and you talk to them and you're like, he did it, man. We just got to prove it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and another thing was just him, the suspect, man. This guy was he was something. He's a talker. Um you know, Chris and I interviewed him the first time. I think it's like three hours long. I mean, he 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 rem, he reminded me of some people that I've known over my life that just can talk about anything. Right? You give them a topic, they can talk about it. And if you've done something, they've done something better. Um, he was something. Um, he would. He he he, he either he, sold Amway or cars. In his <laughs> Probably. I'm so. just saying. And, and yeah. he was. And he was from Pike County. And I tell people all the time, this voice isn't made for radio, but I think what he found in this voice was a familiarity um, with this country accent because he was from Pike County um, and he felt comfortable with me. Um, and and we absolutely, we, we played that tune um, because Chris with his New York accent, you know. Which I don't have any longer. I, mean, so uh, I would disagree. I, that's a, I, yeah. would I have an interpreter, disagree. something like a sign language interpreter that won't bleed into this too, so people can understand. We'll put subtitles there, in. There's an app exactly. for that, right? Exactly. Yeah. It. Uh, it. And just for the listeners, uh, I think what's neat about you feeling that through intuition, I would argue that most of the time when we met people, we met people and, and really didn't automatically put them in a box. Am I right or wrong? That's good. We, most of the time, we were, we stayed. It didn't speak to you. So I'm going to go along with you that if it spoke to you, it probably would Yeah, and, spoke and, to and you. what's neat about that was it wasn't in a controlled environment. It was at his it was at his apartment, you know, oh, we and we talked to him and, and just those little subtle things. And, and we'll get into it and, and it'll make sense. But, I mean, right. we walked away and I told Chris, I'm like, this has got to be our guy. Right. <laughs> and, I was and convinced. Here's, the, yeah. here's a yin and yang between age and someone that. Is new in the unit, and he wasn't relatively new, but I had been bit in trial before that I focused on one suspect, Amen. and I yeah. was not going to do that with this case. Steve was on the money, and I wasn't going to fall for it. That's all I have to say yeah. about it. But yeah, we we did we we did well together on this. Yeah, it, and and you know also it, in trial that's a typical defense thing too is that. We've all all focused on the oh, one person, one hundred percent. Even even to the point where we, you'd have to testify about the eliminations you did to say that this is the only person. You know, if there was the only person left alive, but it 
just a, that's a common defense tactic because we just focused on my person. Oh, yeah. You know, because I had blood and cuts all over them. Yeah, that's that drew my attention. So good stuff. Well, let's dive into it. So our victim was Goldie Massey. She was 50 years old. What? How did the call come out? Was it? Yeah, you had mentioned missing person at one point. We know, obviously, she was murdered. So what did this call came out as and which of you received it? Skoon, Skoon started the whole thing. Yeah, thanks for that. He's, he's blaming me. Can everyone hear this? Yeah. Witnesses. That's what I said for years. <laughs> yeah. started, Skoon, it. started it. Hence my divorce. No, um, no so I was um, – so during the time robbery homicide, uh, we received uh, missing persons. We did assaults. We did homicides. We did robberies. And this is just a typical um, – even though the cold case was – being created at that time, I was still receiving other reports and assaults. Um, so during that time, we were still receiving, I was still receiving missing person cases. Um, and it came across my desk. Uh, on October 1st, a patrolman took a report for the missing, for missing Goldie Massey. Uh, he got a call from her son, Zach Massey. He reported her missing on October 1st, but the last time he had seen her originally, he said the 27th of September. We'll get into that kind of family dynamic in a little bit. So it takes some time once a missing persons report is is written and collected. The process goes through reports, then it comes up to the sergeant, comes up to the lieutenant, and then it gets assigned a detective. Um, it was assigned to me. And so I followed up on it and was reading the report, and I saw her son had reported her missing. And what's the typical Detective 101 is to call the person that reported the individual missing. So I did that, and Zach was telling me the story that his mother was supposed to babysit for them. He and his girlfriend, they were not married at the time. Um, He and his girlfriend had a child in common. She was supposed to babysit for them on the 21st and next day, and she didn't show. Well, he said he waited a few days, and I asked him, why did you wait a few days? He said, well, sometimes she just is late. And I said, no, can you get in a little deeper for me? I need to know her personality. I need to know her profile, really. And when I say profile, I mean her habits, people she hangs out with to see if she is at a high Uh, risk of any kind of violent crime. So he explained to me that she's been in a little financial trouble with some, she's an accountant. She's been in financial trouble with some farmers there in Bourbon County and that she had taken some money from them when they were, she was doing their taxes. Um, And she didn't want them to report her because she was trying to work restitution off personally to them. I said, okay. He said, so she may have left for that reason, but she would have told me, but I haven't heard from her. I said, well, I see that you said you haven't seen her since the 27th. That was kind of confusing. She didn't show up till the 21st. And he made the report on October 1st. So already my curiosity is up. I said, okay, who, who was she last seen with? And he explained to me that she has a boyfriend named Paris Charles, that he came and picked her up and he had called Paris to find out where he last had seen his mother and Paris explained to him and I, we call him Paris. So it's kind of a habit for me to say Paris, but it's Paris Charles. And he explained to Zach that he picked his mother up in Cynthia on the street. 
She was acting kind of strange, but then they drove to, I know this is a surprise to everyone in the room, <laughs> Jim and Rose's bar on Georgetown Street. Rose and Jim's bar. Rose and Jim's. Okay. I hang out there. I guess there's good <laughs> If you good know fries Jim or, and Rose's, if yeah. you're a regular life. <laughs> yeah, there we, yeah, there, there, there we go. It's dark, cigarettes, cool. Yeah, that's all you got to know. Um, so they had a few beers there. Um, and then she decides she wanted to go to her old residence on Range Court. Said he drove her over there and dropped her off. That's what he told Zach. Was she residing there? You said old residence. Well, she had just been evicted from there. So why do you want to go to your old residence if you don't reside there anymore? Again, you're the detective. Exactly right. (laughs) That's exactly what we were wondering. And that's exactly what we asked Zach. I said, why would she want to go back? He explained that the landlord had put her stuff out on the curb. And he didn't know if she had anything left on the curb. So that's his, that's Zach's only theory. So at that point, uh, that's the only thing we had had at that, at that time. So um, Paris just drops her off and leaves her. Yes. Not knowing how she's going to get back to yes. new residence or yes. wherever. Yeah. And I had that call with Zach on October 5th or th- sometime between October 5th and 7th. Um, and then this is when, it gets to me that maybe something's up and Steve's the next up on the homicide list. So I said, hey, Steve, I'm getting kind of curious about this missing persons report. I've been there for probably 18 years at this point. Well, maybe 15 years. And I said, Steve, why don't you go with me on this? Because to me, it doesn't make sense. So Steve agreed. And on the 13th of October, so that's 13 days after we get the report, uh, Steve and I go and knock on the door of uh, Paris Charles in Chats- at Chatsworth Court. This is my aha moment. Yes. <laughs> um, and correct me. Steve will always correct me because my memory is a little uh, old. I've probably, you know, me and a few of the NFL or the NBA basketball players have probably partied together at this point. <laughs> or no. Um, so we go and knock on Charles' door. And – at first, there was no answer. I remember this vividly, this part I remember. And there's no answer. We think he's probably working because it was late mor- mid-morning. Yeah, it was afternoon. Yeah. yeah. And uh, he comes to the door on about the third knock. I mean, we knock, space, knock, space. So there's probably 10, 20 seconds in between each each section of knock, knocking. And uh, he opens the door. He's in jeans, no shirt, no shoes or socks. Correct. I remember that completely. And he only opens the door and he has his hand on the doorknob and you have a little space in there. I think what's most interesting is he was standing in the doorway preventing us from coming in. Right. He he did that intentionally. Sure. You know, I mean, he put himself in between us being able to enter his residence. And that was for a reason. But we could still see him. We'll be back after a quick break. Bloody FM presents Hometown Ghost Stories, a paranormal podcast that investigates a new town every week, bringing you all the hauntings from haunted houses to castles, bridges to asylums, wandering spirits to demons. Over 100 episodes covering different towns all over the world. Tune in to Hometown Ghost Stories live on YouTube every Tuesday night at 9 p.m. Eastern or on any podcast platform and find out if your hometown is haunted. So I asked him if he had a few minutes to talk with us. We're here about 
the missing persons report that um, Zachary had reported about Goldie Massey. And any other person would have said, sure, come on in. Well, he said, uh, okay, what, what about it? And he left the door open, but he wouldn't let us step in. We kind of stepped up on the second step thinking he was going to invite us in, and he didn't. So we continued on the second step, and he continued in the doorway. And so we asked him normal questions. When did you last see her? And he explained to us the same thing he had told Zachary, except for he had added that when he got to range court, there was a white pickup truck in the driveway and a person that he didn't recognize or know that was a male white. And I, th- I think, didn't he also tell Zach that he dropped her off to truck driver Greg? Yes. He thought truck, dr- yeah, truck, truck driver, driver Greg, Greg was there. Okay. That he had dropped off to. Now, and under- understand this whole time, while Chris is basically doing all the talking, right? And I'm doing all of the looking. Sure. Um, just kind of like a one-two in an interview, right? That that first chair is doing all the asking in an interview, but that second chair is just as important as that first in listening to what the questions are, but most importantly, listening to what the answers are to be able to come back with accompanying questions to those. Right. So we had a we had a job when we were there, and that was Chris to ask questions. And when I knew that he was asking questions and had him distracted, then I could look right because there was a reason he wasn't letting us in. Yeah, and so, we were trying to figure that out for the listeners, just so they understand. When the police usually come and talk to somebody, especially with something non-threatening like that, like a follow-up, yeah. most people invite the police into their home uh, for privacy. So sure. that is odd. It's kind of it's you know it's like they don't want their business talked about on the front porch. So a lot of times, and it's just hospitality too. So I'm with you. That, sure, and yeah. and understanding we're we're in suits. We don't look like the police. You know, right. I mean, we're we're just we're there just following up on a few things. We weren't we weren't. And as any neighborhood, neighbors are looking out the window. They're coming and driving into their driveway. So out of politeness, the police, and I know the normal listener would say, no, they just want to get into the house. But that's not true. We just don't want them to have a reputation. That, oh, the police were called again to our neighbors, right? That's not fair to anybody that lives right. in the neighborhood. But for us, when we make first contact and that person puts themselves in the doorway, there's a reason that they put themselves there. Oh, 100%. Right? Because they don't want you to come in. Right. And why don't they want you to come yeah. in? What are they hiding? Because there's something there. So, so tell us who Greg is. You've well, talked about truck driver Greg. So you said so, he says he drops him off. He drops Goldie off. I think is what's important the about truck? the whole thing is it's sort of a picture that he's painting with a lot of different people mm-hmm. that he had come in contact with with Goldie. And those were just details that he could put together from different parts right. to give to Zach. Right. To, to try to validate his story to Zach, to say, oh, I dropped him off. There was a white truck and it was Greg. But so Greg these are just drove the white these truck. are just bits right. and pieces that he's learning in his association with Goldie and the people that he knows. He's where willing. Zach probably knows the same people. And he's just trying to validate those. He's building uh, several people into one to satisfy Zach's curiosity. And now he's trying to satisfy our curiosity. And we, of course, not knowing any of these people, we can't just say, oh, you're lying, right? That would be. Yeah. I mean, we're taking him for face value right. at this point. We have no reason to believe that he's done anything. Right. He's Zero. Just creating qualifiers and red sure. herrings is what he's doing. Yeah. But he's, but he's giving good details. I mean, sure. he's actually giving 
vehicle descriptions and names and you know it's not it's not vague it's just it's not just i dropped her off on range court and i left right. uh, i mean he was he was expounding on the missing persons report that chris had that he had told zach so he was going a little bit further giving a little bit more details and so to us really it was and he he kind of insinuated he didn't come out and say he insinuated that yeah zach zach yeah that he and Goldie, Zach's got problems. He didn't come out and say what problem. Zach's got problems. I offered to loan him money. Mm-hmm. He actually said that while we were at the door. Okay, yeah. Would, so, it, be, would it be surprised if Goldie right. was on the run because she's in trouble? Right. So all great Plausible. reasons when we start looking into Plausible. it. You know what I mean? It's, it's very helpful. Yeah. Very yeah. helpful. So as we as we thank him, we turn around. And we actually – we, we talked to him a little bit more because as we're talking to him um, – he has a he has a like a a knot on his arm. Right. And yes, I asked him. Get and, see, and it this like, is why I found like, on you. And it was brains. like it was like raised. I mean, it was obvious. And because right. he wasn't wearing a shirt, and it was like a pump, like a little pump knot on his forearm. We did ask him about that, and it had a like it was lacerated also. And we're like, what happened to your arm? And he's like, oh, I got into a got into a little scuffle with my girlfriend. Girlfriend. Yep. And then he also had a little he had a spot on his leg he raised his pant leg up where he had he also had like an abrasion on his leg and he said he attributed that to getting into a scuffle with his girlfriend or like okay. now to the listeners you're thinking oh this is an easy case not so quickly paris some type of style of women like paris so you think girlfriend it's not just goldie it's not just a certain person so you have to look into his background, right? You can't just automatically assume, oh, he's talking about Goldie. So we can't do that right off. So that's a lot. And people think that it's very easy to determine these things, but it's a process. It takes a long time. It doesn't happen overnight, like on TV. Yeah, listening, but, I don't think you're anywhere near. I mean, you've got yeah. a feeling and, yeah. and everything, but it's mm-hmm. stopped short of that. Yeah. Do we Before we get into any, any further on that, too, just to maybe understand a little bit, too, what do we know about Goldie? What from her family? What did you glean as to what what uh, anything about her personal life that you did you learn? Right, and just to this point, and I'm I've taken you in chronological order. Just to this point, it's just what Zach told us about go. embezzlement, trying to work off restitution with the people she conducted taxes and CPA for so, some cold checks, things of that nature. Just sort of money issues. She really mm-hmm. didn't have a record to begin with, and then her record grew as we didn't locate her. So some of the people she owed money to started to press charges. Well, and they started actually calling the police department because sure. they heard that she was missing and saying, "Hey, she owed me money." Um, what's going on with her kind of thing. And Chris talked to a few of those people. Um, so we knew that there were some money issues there and that gives a person a reason to not want to be around. Oh yeah. You know, when yeah. you're in trouble, you get away. Um, so there were a lot of things going on in this case where there are a bunch of different scenarios why she's missing. Right. I mean, there, right. we absolutely didn't think that she was dead. Mm-hmm. Uh, or or someone had done anything to her, we thought there were plausible reasons that she right. would be gone. Which is true with most missing persons. <laughs> right. Absolutely. We had David Hester on here, and he did a very fantastic mm-hmm. job talking about missing person investigations. And, uh, you know, out in the in the world out there, people think that they're all suspicious and everybody's <laughs> yeah. met an untimely death. And, and uh, you know, to be honest with you, probably we can all count on one hand of the 
thousands of missing persons between all of us that we've handled, how many were actually something met a nefarious end? It's important to remember that. Oh, that's and that's, people we, we, all the time. we used to right. we used to joke about that in the unit of all the missing person that would come across your desk. You know, the joke was you better look into that one. Oh, yeah, because yeah. you never know. I mean, yeah. we took so many for granted. I mean, they were just right. missing because they're you know their family hadn't talked to them, but yes, there were there were good reasons, and you know, ninety eight percent of them were just missing right. people that didn't want to be. They just no, but it was that one. It was that one that would bite you in the ass. You did diligently work. Yes, it's just at the end you would take a deep breath and go. Now I can go back to something else. You don't want to be the guy on national news, (laughs) right? Who just counts the missing person? Yeah, Lexington Metro Police Detective lost four people that were reported missing by a serial killer. You don't want to be that guy. No, so you do, and and I think that's the bane of the existence and what the real work is that people don't understand because I think we're. We educate people on that is how much you spin your wheels in mud. Oh, gosh. And, oh, yeah. ra- and it's raking leaves on a windy yes. day. But you all said it best. That's part of the job. Mm-hmm. And again, sure. if somebody goes in and gets that assignment, like if they worked as hard as you did to get there and they didn't like that, then you got to go because right. that is, it is it. What I'm getting at is, though, is the reality of it is, is that when you do work all of those diligently and they terminate, you know, we've all we found women that did leave three kids that they right believe they loved in a right. husband yeah. and looked at you and said, I just like partying at seventh and upper. And you have I, a right to do that's that. That's it. Exactly. <laughs> right. Yeah. You're an adult. So you know? yeah, back to, I just wanted to clarify that is that uh Absolutely. Yeah, there's that reality of what these things are, and then it is not TV and Hollywood again. Well, I do want to ask, you said the knot on the arm, and he said girlfriend. It were both of you all thinking girlfriend. I thought she was the girlfriend. Did you did you say so? Did Goldie do that? No, to you? no, no. We no, just no. let him we, talk. We just let him talk. Like we said, he's a talker, right? So right. we just let so him talk. So when he says, "Oh, I got this and this on my leg," you just really go, like, oh, "Okay, oh yeah, it, we're, it's interesting." We're gonna, but, we're, we're recording this. We're redocumenting this yeah. as far as documentation. We're gonna do this, and it. So the conversation was not in front of anyone. It was when we got back to the car. Steve already had the aha moment, but I'm trying to get the answers. From Charles uh, Paris to get where our next step is for our next lead, and when we get to the car, tell him what you told, and, and you already told him this is our guy. But why did you say that? I was like, "Scoon, there's no carpet in that in that front room of that apartment. Oh, <laughs> the apartment, the carpet has been removed from the. So front you could room. see enough through that sliver. Oh, of door there that you we could, could. I could see the entire living room. It and wasn't was, a sliver. He held like an arm's oh, length. Yeah, I could see. Open. I could. I mean, he was standing in the doorway, but he couldn't. He couldn't obscure my view where I could see all the way in. And the car, the carpet was gone. It was down the concrete. Which, for the listeners that didn't take civics or take it seriously, that's a legal observation because Absolutely. you're legally where you're supposed to be. I was not that's in correct. his apartment. I exactly. was outside of his apartment. And, looking and when into you're a place you're legally entitled to be, your 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 field of vision, everything carries you. You should be a detective. That's a pretty good clue. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> You- uh, I, I, and, and looking back, be, obviously hindsight's twenty twenty. But in that moment, we, it was more of a man. It, I can't believe that there's no carpet. I mean, we were kind of joking about it, but now, I mean, that was huge. You know, right. it, it was it was huge just to the the fact of investigating further, investigating further, knowing what we knew. Seeing what we saw, that was right. it. Was it just it all added up? So, where did you leave it with him? Just thank you for your time. For we'll time. get back yep. to you yep. if we need something, yep. right? Thank, and, thank you very much. 
Hey, you know there's more to the story, so go download the next episode like the true crime fan that you are. The Murder Police Podcast is hosted by Wendy and David Lyons and was created to honor the lives of crime victims, so their names are never forgotten. It is produced, recorded, and edited by David Lyons. The Murder Police Podcast can be found on your favorite Apple or Android podcast platform, as well as at murderpolicepodcast.com, where you will find show notes, transcripts, information about our presenters, and a link to the official Murder Police Podcast merch store, where you can purchase a huge variety of Murder Police Podcast swag. We are also on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube, which is closed captioned for those that are hearing impaired. Just search for the Murder Police Podcast and you will find us. If you have enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe for more and give us five stars and a written review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you download your podcasts. Make sure you set your player to automatically download new episodes so you get the new ones as soon as they drop. And please tell your friends. Lock it down, Judy.